You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 is the scripture that we are standing on for this series. James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. In verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. The, this is the third week of us talking about the sermon series, Why Is It Not Working? And it's a question that I started asking myself, and I felt the Lord was speaking to me and revealing some things to me, and I thought, well, if He's revealing it to me, then let us all go on this journey together of revelation. And the question that I was asking and pertaining to the parable of the sower is, why does God's Word seemingly not always work in my life? I read a scripture, I see what God's will is for me when I read this book, and it tells me that He wants to save me, that He loves me, that He's proud of me, that He wants to take me to heaven, that He wants me healed, that He wants me saved, that He wants me to have a great life, that He says all these things in here, but sometimes it appears that when I read this and I look at my life, there is a disconnect, and I ask the question, why is it not working? And I felt the Lord bringing me to the parable of the sower. And over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about the parable of the sower. And it would be crazy, because we talked about it, if I just sat there and listened to the story of the parable of the sower, where Jesus tells this story, and he says at the end of it, he who has ears, let him hear, and then he dismisses the crowd, and he doesn't explain it at all. And then the disciples show up a couple hours later when they're hanging out in the house, and they say, hey, God, hey, Jesus, that was a pretty cool story. Um, Judas over there didn't understand a word you said, so could you explain it to me so then I could go tell Judas what the parable of the sower means? But I praise God that we live in a time and an age where we have the Bible, where we have an explanation, and not just one explanation, but we have three explanations of what Jesus meant when he talked about the parable of the sower. He talks about it in Mark chapter 4. He talks about it in Luke chapter 8. He talks about it in Matthew chapter 13. So now we get to see three different interpretations of what the parable of the sower means. It talks about the seed, number one. The seed is the most important part to getting the Word of God to work in your life. The sower goes to sow the seed, and the seed is the Word of God. So we understand, one, that the Word of God is what is going to work, and that the sower, being God, is going to sow that into our lives. And this scripture in James chapter 1 shows us that we're going to have to let go of some things. You're going to have to let go of, it says, all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And we in church and being Christians for a long time sometimes get on our high horse and we think, well, I've got no filthiness inside of me. That's such a dirty word. An overflow of wickedness? Absolutely not. But there's some things that we're going to have to let go of in our lives to help us see the Word of God manifest and show up in our lives. And it says that we have to receive with meekness 
the implanted word of God. And why do we want to receive the implanted word of God is because it will save your soul, that it is the only thing on planet earth that can save you physically, that can save you mentally, that can save you spiritually, that can save you emotionally. It's the only thing that can save you and that can save your neighbor is the word of God. So therefore, I have to see it work in my life. I'm not going to stay who I am. I'm going to change, and I'm going to let God's Word change me. So when the seed is sown into my life, when the pastor preaches the Word, when I'm reading the Word of God, when I'm listening to a sermon, when a prophet shows up and gives a prophetic word, when that seed is sown, I want to receive that with meekness, with humbleness, that implanted Word so it will save my soul. And we talked about last week... As the parable of the sower says, the sower goes to sow the seed, and the first thing that happens is the seed is thrown by the wayside, which we found out the wayside was the well-traveled road, which means that it was the devil is the one who immediately comes and takes the word away, which tells me that the devil knows how important the word of God is. If he is the first one on the scene to try and take away the seed from you so it doesn't work, then that tells me how important the seed is. He could have been the last one to show up in the parable of the sower, but he's the first one. So we encouraged you in some ways to overcome the wayside last week. If you remember, we talked about don't believe his lie. Resist the devil and put on the full armor of God. And this week, we're going to talk about the next part of the parable of the sower. And Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower In Mark chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 is the part of the parable, and then we'll dive into it. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 5, he says, Some fell, this is the seed, some seed fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth, verse 6, but when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. That's part of the parable of the sower that Jesus tells to the congregation. And now we're going to look at the three different stories of Jesus explaining it to the disciples so that we can hear it and understand it better. So today we're going to talk about the stone. And what I believe the stony ground represents is the struggles of the world. That word in the Greek stone is Petra. It means a rock, a ledge, a cliff, or a large stone. And last week we talked about and hopefully helped you recognize the difference between the voice of God, the voice of the seed, the voice of the word, and the lies of the dumb devil. So now as you hear the word of God, as the seed of the word of God is being scattered over your soul and over your spirit today... We're not going to believe the lies of the devil anymore. We understand his tricks. We understand that he is the father of lies. We understand that he is the accuser of the brethren. We understand that he is the author of confusion. We understand that he's all those things. So therefore, when the seed is sown, when I read the Bible, I'm not going to listen to that deceiving voice saying, did God really tell you that? Did he really speak that? Is he really talking to you? Does he really want you healed? Does he really want you saved? Does he really love you? Does he really love you in the state that you're in? We're not going to believe those things anymore. We're going to push the devil off to the side. Resist the devil and he will flee. And now we want to look at the stony ground. How can we avoid and overcome the stony ground? A rock, a ledge, a cliff. 
possibly in the season of life that you're in, you might feel like you're in a stony ground situation. You might feel like in your life is on the rocks, that it's sharp, it's jagged, slippery, and you keep trying to get your footing in life, but you keep slipping, you keep falling on the rocks, you keep getting hurt. It's very hard for the fruit to grow when you're just trying to survive. I wrote this, or maybe you feel like your life is on the ledge or on the edge of a cliff, like the definition says. You want the seed to work, you're believing for the seed to work, but you feel like you're on the edge of the cliff, and if you make one more wrong step, that's the end. Life's over, the situation's over, the relationship's over. And it says in the scriptures, as we talked about the parable on the stony ground, there's no protection from the elements. The sun shines on the sunny, the stony ground. It burns up the seed. It burns up your life. You thought you were on the right foundation, but you weren't. And there's no fruit to be had in your life because it keeps getting burned. So let's look at Jesus' explanation of the stony ground in Luke chapter 8. There's three of them. We'll start in Luke chapter 8. Verse 13, this is Jesus' interpretation of the parable of the sower specifically for the stony ground. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now, there's something interesting here. There's something that we can learn here because Jesus shows us an additional step, more parts of the process to how to get the seed to work. Last week, we talked about Jesus made it a priority to say that you hear the word. That the very first thing for the seed to bear fruit, because at the end of the parable, it says that the fruit, the seed bears fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. So I want to get from hearing the word to all the way to where the fruit is the seed is bearing fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. That's the end goal. That's what I want to see. I want to just not just read this word, not just talk about this word, but I want to see the manifestation of this word in my life. And how do I get there? How do I get from hearing to seeing the fruition of the gospel showing up in my life? And he gives a bit of the process here as he's describing the stony ground. For those who hear, there it is again. We've got to hear the Word of God. You've got to put yourself in a position, which you are today. Thank you for being at church. You've got to put yourself in a position to hear the seed, to hear the Word of God. And then what's the next step? You've got to receive it. You've got to receive it as your own. But not just receive it, receive it with joy. How many times have people been sitting in the same chairs that you have been sitting in and they've heard the word, the seed has been presented to them, and they've received it not with joy but with anger? How dare the pastor say that to me? How dare he bring that scripture? That's not right. I'm not going to listen to that. Or how about when you're just sitting here during worship or when you're at home you're reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit decides that he's going to put his finger on the very thing that's frustrating you. And you close your Bible and say, nope, not today. I rebuke you, devil. You aren't going to do that to me. And the Holy Spirit shows up and says, you need to forgive that person. You need to let this go. You need to do this. You need to stop doing that. And you say, nope, not today. I'm not going to receive that. But here it says we've got to hear the word, 
We've got to receive it. We've got to receive it with joy. And the next step it shows us on here, to believe. For the word to work, for the seed to work, for the seed to bear fruit, Jesus is showing us the steps to get there. And he's showing us by talking about it during the stony ground. He says those hear it, they receive it, they receive it with joy, but then they have no root. They start to believe it, but then something happens, temptation happens. And because temptation happens, it says they fall away. That's why the chairs are empty. That's why churches are empty. Because something else has enticed them. People have believed something else. There's something more tempting to fulfill them that they think is fulfillment, and it's not in the church. Or they ask God to do something. They believe God wants, and He didn't show up. So it says they fall away. They have no root. A definition of that word root in the original text says that it's the spoken of one who has but a superficial experience of divine truth and has not permitted it to make its way to the innermost recesses of the soul. So it says here, those that are going through a stony ground situation, that they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but because they have no root, and because the struggles of life show up, it pulls the word away from them, and it causes them to struggle, fall, and stumble away. What does no root look like? Spoken of one who has but a superficial experience of divine truth. But they have not permitted it to make its way to the inmost recesses of their soul. We've allowed God to save us, but we haven't allowed Him to fully access everything. Because we haven't allowed Him to fully access everything... When he tries to put his finger on those areas that we've built our Jericho walls around, Jesus, I'll let you come in and save me, but I'm not going to let you heal the drama and the trauma of what happened in my childhood. I'm not going to let you do this. I'm not going to let you fix that. I'll let you save me enough to get to heaven, but I can't let you in anywhere else. And because they're not let them into the deepest, most parts, there's no root there. And when the struggles of life come and show up, it causes us to stumble. It causes us to fall away. I thought God was going to show up, but his seed didn't work, so I'm not going back to church. I'm not going to read my Bible anymore. I'm not going to talk to people about Jesus. I'm not going to talk about Jesus anymore. I'm just going to do enough, get to heaven, and I'm going to just do me. In James chapter 1, Verses 12 through 15, James is talking about temptation. And he says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he is being approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What a great gift. Not only do I get to go to heaven, it says I also get a crown. That's pretty cool. But it also says we'll put the crown back at his feet. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And look at this. This is crucial. This is very important for you to understand and learn. Nor does he tempt anyone. 
Look at verse 14. But each one is tempted, this is what temptation does, when he is drawn away by his own desires, which is his own thoughts, and he's enticed by those thoughts. You're thinking about something over and over and over again, which leads to action. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to, uh uh-oh, sin. And sin, and when it is full grown, uh uh-oh, the wages of sin, the scripture says, brings forth death. So now we see when temptation arises, its job and its goal of temptation is to kill the seed. It doesn't want to see the seed bear fruit in your life. Temptation arises on the stony ground to ultimately kill the seed because it brings death, brings forth death. Jesus came to give life and more abundantly. The seed has come to give you life and more abundantly. And the stony ground or the struggles of this life or temptation arise not by God. God's not trying to tempt you to get you to run to church. He's not trying to tempt you to get you to run to his word. Temptation happens because of a thought in your mind, which goes back to the wayside where the devil is, who that's all he does. His job is to plant the seed of doubt in your mind. Did God truly tell you that? It'd be so much more fun if you went and did this, this, and this, and not go to church, and not read your Bible, and not pray, and not spend time with God. And that temptation, that desire, turns into action, which turns into sin. And the only thing that sin bears fruit is death. It might be fun at the beginning, but the only thing that it bears fruit is death. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart. This is the same word that we see in Luke where it says that they will fall away due to temptation, giving heed or listening to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I can only encourage you so much and plead with you, what are you listening to? What are you listening to? There's so much that can happen between these two ears and this little old brain that can transform your life. The right seed planted at the right time is going to bear great godly fruit. The wrong seed at the wrong time when you believe a lie through temptation, can bring your life off track and you'll look back in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year and say, whoa, what just happened? How did I get way over here? I thought God loved me. I I thought God cared and now I'm way over here. God, where are you? God's always been there. He's always been speaking. He's always been rooting you on. He's always been encouraging you. Follow me. Hear my voice. Come this way. But temptation, the definition of temptation is the enticement to sin. Let's look at the other two explanations that Jesus gives. We'll look at Matthew chapter 13 first, then we'll go to Mark chapter 4. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus explaining the stony ground a second time. And he says, but he who received the seed on stony ground, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Verse 21 says, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Let's look at the other 
uh, verse in uh, Mark chapter 4 where Jesus explains it the last time. These likewise are the ones who sow uh, the seed is sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So the stony ground that can hinder or stop the Word of God from working in your life, from bearing fruit in your life, is temptations, is persecution, and tribulation. Amen. Woo, we love the world. That's fun. God doesn't cause temptation. God doesn't cause persecution. God doesn't cause tribulation. So why does temptation, why does persecution, why does tribulation show up in my life? And it tells you right here, it shows up for the Word's sake. God is not sending tribulation or persecution to your life. It's not designed by God, and He doesn't send it into your life to bring, him, bring you closer to them. The reason tribulation, persecution, and temptation are in and around your life is they're coming for the word. They're coming for the seed. And they're coming to take the seed away from you. The definition of tribulation is pressure, affliction, distress, or trouble. We see these big words, temptation, persecution, tribulation, and we, our mind goes to like the extreme. But all tribulation is, is pressure. It's trouble. It's distress. It's affliction. It's stress. Pressure. Under pressure. Dun, 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 dun. That causes people to break. It says here in the scriptures, now the world is so concerned about your mental health. Now the world is so concerned about making sure you take time off. Now the world is, is trying to, to give people time off and saying that they need to get away from pressure. They need to get away from stress. Well, God talked about it years and years and years ago when he wrote the Bible. Tribulation and pressure and temptation and persecution, they're coming, and the only reason they're coming is so that it will kill you. It'll cause you to stumble. It'll cause you to fall away. But that's not the reason of the Bible just to highlight the negative. The reason of the Bible is to show you the answer to overcome it. I don't want to just sit here today and be like, okay, I'm under pressure. Cool. Amen. See you all Sunday. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit, and he wants to help you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to remove that out of you. Be anxious for nothing. He's not sending temptation. He's not sending tribulation. But if you're in there, he wants to give you a way to get out of it because he wants the word to work in your life. He wants to see you grow. He wants to see you prosperous. He wants to see you healthy because he loves you. He loves you for who you are, and he wants to bring you from glory to glory. He wants to bring you from faith to faith. He doesn't want to leave you in the miry clay. He wants to pull you up out of that today. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Praise God. In the world 
you'll have tribulation. Look at the distinction between the two. If you're in Christ, you'll have peace. If you're in the world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Greater is he that's in you than anything that's in the world. God is on my side, the scripture says. I will not fear. What can any man do to me? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God is on our side. Tribulation may come. Persecution may come. Temptation may come. But God is on my side. And he's looking and willing to help me and protect me because he wants to see the word work. He wants you to have that Garden of Eden experience. He wants you to be able to enjoy the world, not just struggle to get by. Well, my retirement's in heaven. No, no, no. God wants you to have fun in heaven, but he wants you to have fun here on earth. He wants you to smile again. He wants you to laugh again. He wants the joy of the Lord to be your strength again. He wants to love you, help you, encourage you. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. I'm almost done. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. We glory in tribulation. I can't be mad at Paul. Paul got stoned. Paul got whipped. Paul literally died. Paul got shipwrecked. I get grumpy because I get grumpy. And here he says glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Verse 5 says, now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts, in my heart, in your heart, by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God didn't send the tribulation, but if I'm in the tribulation, I'm going to glory because he's going to help me get out of the tribulation. I'm going to glory because I know that in that tribulation that God's going to work all things to the good. He's working on me. He's helping me. And I'm going to come through that tribulation. I'm going to come through that storm. And I'm going to come out better on the other side because God is with me. Now let's look at a quick three ways on how to overcome the stony ground. We've laid this foundation of what the stony ground is trying to do to cause the Word of God to not work in your life. But let's overcome it. How can we avoid it? We see that now. Whenever temptation is coming, when I'm being enticed to sin in some way, when temptation and tribulation is attacking, when I've got pressure and stress and affliction and trouble happening, when I've got persecution coming against me, it's not my time to say, God, what's going on? What are you trying to teach me? No, no, it's time to recognize that there's, there's something that God's trying to get to me and something God's trying to get through me. There's something that God's trying to grow in me, and I've got to learn that that persecution, that tribulation, that temptation is trying to take the word away from me so it can kill me, so it can cause me to stumble, it can cause me to fall. And when I recognize that, I'm not falling. I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to brave this storm. I'm going to look at this storm, and I'm going to say, peace be still. In the name of Jesus. And I'm going to let the word work. And I'm going to let the word bear fruit. I'm not going to fall by the stony ground. So how do we overcome the stone? Number one, build on the correct stone. 
Let's not build our lives on the stony ground. Let's not build our lives on one temptation to the next. Let's not build our lives on one tribulation to the next. Well, I survived this one. I don't know when the next one's coming. I failed at this temptation. I gave in. Hopefully I can be strong enough to not, and we're on this roller coaster ride. The highs are great. We're full of joy. Yay! But we have no root, and here we go again. The struggles of life. That's not how the Word works. The Word is constant. The Word is active. The Word is breathing. It's steady. doesn't matter what's coming against me. I can walk tall. I can walk strong. Temptation's coming, push it off to the side. Devil's coming, push it off to the side. Persecution's coming, push it off to the side because God is on my side. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. So I'm not worried about the next step I'm taking. I'm not on this stony ground that's I'm on the edge, I'm on the cliff, I'm going to fall. No, I'm walking with confidence because I've got all of heaven. I've got all the angels. I've got God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit with me, helping me come through this life. So we've got to build on the correct stone. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. We teach this story to the kids. And somehow we as adults still struggle to learn it. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, once again, Jesus, the word of God is speaking, hear what I'm saying, and does them, receives them, receives them with joy and believes them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now let's look at the temptation, the persecution, and the tribulation that's coming. And when the rain descends, persecution, the floods came, tribulation, the wind blew, Temptation, beat on the house, more temptation. It did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Not on the stony ground, it was founded on the rock. The chief cornerstone, Jesus. Psalm 62, verses 5 through 7, David is writing, and he says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only, he only, there is no other stony ground that I'm going to have my life built on. He only is my rock and my salvation. And because he's my rock and my salvation, he's my defense. And because he is my defense, I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Do I have one more scripture? Is that it? Verse 7, yeah. And my refuge is in God. We've got to, to overcome the stony ground, build on the correct stone. Number two, we need to focus on the escape and not on the temptation. Focus on the escape and not on the temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. I love this, but God is faithful. Even when I'm faithless, it says in the Scriptures, God is faithful, praise God, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God says, I didn't make the temptation, I didn't send the temptation, but I'm going to make sure that that temptation isn't too much to overwhelm you and overcome you. And if it starts becoming too much, I've already provided a way of escape. I didn't send it, but I provided a way to send you out of it. So many times 
the seed, the word of God doesn't bear fruit in our lives because we get more focused on the struggles of life, the persecution, the temptation, and the tribulation than looking for the escape. Well, where's God? And here he is with the exit sign saying, I'm right here. Come this way. And you're saying, well, I'm just stuck here. There's something that's new to the culture, and I don't know if you've heard of it or you've, been a, you've done it yet. Some of y'all have, but they're called escape rooms. And it's the weirdest thing. You go and pay money for this company to lock you in a room, and then you have to figure out how to unlock the room. They're popping up all over the place. They were really popular in Dallas when we lived there. And they have different themes, murder mystery, pirates, Indiana Jones. And so you get brought into this room. You pay good money, high dollar, you and your friends. And they say the point of this is to escape the room. And they say you have an hour to escape. And they shut the door and they lock it and you're in this room. And whatever the theme is, you have to start looking for clues. You've got to look and see under, under the mat, is there a key there? You've got to look in the fan, is there a note there? Is there a hole in the wall? Is there something behind this painting to help me get out of this room? And usually the escape rooms have several rooms that you have to get to. The one that I did, we did one at work when I was in Dallas, and it was like a Indiana Jones, and we were trying to solve the mystery of the Mayan temple or something like that. We had to find four crystals and we had to find them in these two, three different rooms so that we could get to the temple to solve the puzzle, to get the treasure that would open the door for us to escape with all the money. And there was like six of us in one room and there was another six of our coworkers in the other and we had to try and, we were trying to beat each other in the hour. And both of us did not solve either room. We both got to the last room and we didn't make it in time. And then... Once you get done, somebody from the company walks back into the room, and they say, well, how far did you get? And you explain where you're at. And they said, okay, let's go to the first room. So they bring us back to the first room, and they start showing us all of the escape mechanisms. Well, here's where this was, and you missed this right here. And this clue brought you to this second room. And because you did in this second room, it opened the door to the third room. Now you're in the fourth room, and you need the four crystals. And one was here, one was here, one was here. Here was the other one. You do this, this, and that's how the door opens. And that should be our journey in life. That when we walk into trouble, when we walk into pressure, when we walk into temptation, when we walk into persecution, I am not solely focused like in the escape room, and just turn around and start beating on the door. Let me out. Let me out. I don't know how to do this. I'm falling apart. This is scary. It's icky. It's, it's cold. It's yucky. Help me. No, 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 that we start looking for the tools that God has placed all around us to help us escape out of there. I'm not focused on the struggles of life. I'm focused on the escape. How do I get out of this? The Word of God is here. What's the Bible say? What's the pastor saying? What's the church saying? What's the song saying? What's the prophet saying? What's my brothers and sisters in Christ saying? I'm looking for the areas of escape. I'm going to get out of here because God already promised me that I'm coming through it. I'm not staying in it. I'm moving through it. We've got to start focusing on the escape and not the temptation. Well, I always, I'm always a sucker for this. I always fall into this. I always stumble with this. No, no, no. I'm not going to fall this time. It says here that God's given you escape, and we've got to look for that escape 
so that we can see the Word of God work. And the last one I have is protect the seed. Protect the Word. Protect the seed. Temptation, persecution, and tribulation are coming. And they're coming to attack specifically the Word that was placed in your heart. And they want to come and take away the seed. They want to take away the Word of God so it won't work in your life and it won't bear fruit. If, it attack, if the attacks of the world can, can succeed, then it says here in Jesus' three different interpretations of the sower of the parable that you will stumble immediately. You'll fall away, it says in Luke, and the other two says you will stumble immediately. He's trying to warn us. He's not trying to scare us. He's not trying to intimidate us. He's trying to warn us. If you focus on the struggles of life, and you don't focus on fostering and growing that seed so that it can bear fruit, you don't have root inside of you, you're just going to fall away immediately. So we've got to protect the Word at all costs. Whatever you're going through, whatever season it is, it's easy. The easiest example is to talk about sickness. When somebody's sick in their physical body, it's very easy to hear what the doctor says, to hear what everybody else says, to hear what the world says, and to let those seeds get planted inside of you. And all sickness's job to do is to kill you. There's no sickness on this planet that is designed to help you get bigger, faster, stronger. I haven't heard of it yet. Cancer's job is not to help me get more muscle mass. The only job of sickness is to kill you. But the job of the Word of God is to heal you. And we've got to protect that at all costs. I've got to protect the Word that by Jesus' stripes I am already healed. Jesus sent His Word and it healed me and protected me from all destruction. And you're going to have all these people talking and saying and doing all these things, but I've got to protect the Word. It says in Psalms 119.11, this is my last scripture, Your Word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's so important to not have a stony ground situation in your life is this simple scripture. You've got to protect the word at all costs. You've got to keep it safe inside of you. You've got to speak it. You've got to talk it out loud. People are going to say stuff. I can't believe you believe that. I prayed that prayer once and it didn't help me. I talked to God once. He didn't do nothing. You're believing that scripture? That doesn't mean you. That doesn't pertain to you. Do you know what you've done? No, no, no. I'm going to protect the seed at all costs because I need to be healed. I need a change in my situation. I need to come through that temptation. I need to come through that persecution. I need to come through that tribulation. I'm not going to stay with the struggles of the world. I'm pushing the devil off to the side by the wayside, and I'm pushing the rest of this garbage off by the stony ground because I am not going to stumble. I am not going to fall away. I am going to stand proudly like it says in Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power salvation to those that believe. So let's stand up today as we get ready to go out. Make it a priority to protect the Word. Protect the Word at all costs. There are so many things that are coming to try and take it away from you and hinder you from seeing the Word of God bear fruit in your life. And I don't want to see that happen I want to be a part of a church and a part of a congregation where when we believe the Word of God, it shows up and it manifests in our lives. That when we pray, God hears it and God answers it. That's the body of believers that I'm believing for and who I'm standing with today.
we're going to see the word work. Next week, we're going to talk about the thorns. And then the week after that, we're going to go out with a bang by talking about the good ground. How do we get this word to work? Starts with getting the devil out of your life. Kick that dumb devil away. Don't listen to him. Don't, let the, don't believe the lie. Please don't believe the lie that God is sending temptation, persecution, and tribulation into your life to teach you a lesson. He is not. He is not. The reason it is there in your life is to take away the Word of God, is to pull you away from God, is to separate you from the Word of God. That is what it's designed to do, to cause you to stumble. And when that happens, it needs to highlight something inside your brain that says, no, 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 I'm fighting. I'm watching the Word work in my life, protected at all costs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word today. We receive your word today. We know that in this world, it rains on the just and the unjust. We know in this world, bad things happen to good people. But I thank you, God, that you have provided a way to overcome those bad things by sending your son, Jesus, to save us, protect us, heal us. And you've placed the Holy Spirit inside of us, who is our comforter, who is our guide, who is our help, and who will lead us and guide us into all truth. Father, I thank you for this word that has been presented to us. We do not want to fall away. We do not want to stumble. We want to hear your voice. We want to believe it and receive it with joy and believe it and watch it bear fruit in our lives. So, Father, help these people as they walk through whatever temptation, persecution, tribulation that they're going through. Don't let them stay in it. Show them the way of escape to overcome it and come out on the other side victorious. Father, I pray the word of God over them right now, that they are blessed and highly favored, that, Father, your word says they are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Father, your word says they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. Father, your word says the favor of God surrounds them like a shield. Father, I thank you that you are protecting them with Psalms 91 protection. Father, I thank you that everything they put their hands to prospers. Father, I thank you that they are blessed and they are going to be a blessing to the people they come in contact with because it says in your scriptures, we diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. And Father, I thank you that we are the salt and light of the earth, a city set on a hill that refuses to be hidden. So Father, bless your people, protect your people, cause your people to prosper and triumph in everything they do this week and bring them back safely next Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you all next week talking about that thorn. Be good. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.